Finishing off today our series, Growing Together, that we've been in over the summer. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about what we're going to share together today. Uh, so over the last weeks, we've been looking at these means by which God has given us to grow in maturity as his people, both individually and corporately. These ways in which God forms us more into the likeness of his son. And today, we're coming to the subject of prayer. And it's a massive subject. And so this isn't going to be exhaustive by any means, but I want to start here, which is to say this. Some of you will, as soon as I say we're going to talk about prayer, go, oh, like you're just going to tell me all the things I need to do, like that I'm not doing enough and I need to do more. And some of you will have heard sermons and talks on the subject of prayer, and you will have heard inspiring illustrations like this from heroes of the faith. You would have heard people talk about someone like Martin Luther and say Luther was questioned once about what he had to do the next day and he talked about all the many tasks and the huge amount of stuff that lay before him and said, you know, there's so much that I need to do that, that actually I'm going to be up at 4 a.m. to pray for three hours before I get started because I, I need to do that before I start the day. And you will hear things like that and go, oh, man, like that's not, I, I don't do that. I haven't done that. That's not me. And you start to heap condemnation on yourself about how you don't measure up. Well, I want to share with you before we start an actual, because I don't think Martin Luther actually ever said that. I think it's apocryphal. It's just, and I've heard it attributed to loads of different people. Here is something that Martin Luther did actually write to one of his friends. That your high opinion of me shames and tortures me. Since unfortunately I sit here like a fool, hardened in leisure, pray little and do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have not prayed or studied. And this is partly because of temptations of the flesh and partly because I am tortured by other burdens. Hero of the faith, Martin Luther, <laughs> writes in honesty to one of his friends, these last eight days, I, like, I wish I could say I had, but I haven't prayed, I haven't studied, I haven't written anything that I was supposed to write. And I can identify with Luther writing that. And my guess is that you can too that there are days and weeks where you might go prayerless. And then you hear a talk and you think, oh, the guilt, the shame, I need to do more, I need to be better, I need to try harder. When I read that, this quote this week, what I came away with was this great truth that actually I could have said those words that Luther said. And yet I know that in his mercy, because of Jesus, he finds me pleasing. In his grace, in his kindness, my heavenly father delights in me. And there's not condemnation, but actually an invitation to come, to enjoy him, to delight in him, to relate to him. Now, prayer isn't a task that we're called to complete as Christians. 
but it's an expression of a relationship that we're invited to enjoy. And so I want to lift the burden off a bit today. So this isn't a talk about all the things you should be doing, but this is an invitation to enjoy relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so before we go anywhere else, I, I want to lay something of a foundation for this subject, which is to say the heart of the Christian message is that God created you for a personal relationship with him. And actually, the big story of Scripture from beginning to end is that of God pursuing relationship with his people that he created, inviting them into relationship with him. These men and women created in his image for his glory, his desire for relationship with us. From the beginning of Genesis to the conclusion of Revelation, the story remains the same. If you look at God's Word, you will see over and over and over and over again, the Bible is a book about relationship between God and His people. It's a book that tells the story of the infinite, awesome creator and sustainer of all things who wants a relationship with you and me. And that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's done everything necessary for us to enjoy that relationship. He's done everything necessary for you and me and Martin Luther. Frail, flawed people who consistently fail to meet even our own standards. To come, to know him, to love him as we're loved by him adopted into his family, called children of God. (laughs) It's so, so important that we get this when we come to the subject of prayer. Because I, I do think it's very easy for us to slip into the mindset of seeing prayer as a task that we need to give ourselves to. And, and we can come to the subject and, and think about the technicalities of prayer. How do we pray? Where should we pray? When do we pray? And I think when we do, we end up missing the point. See, if the high point of the Christian message is about relationship, then prayer is essential because it's about communication. And that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Anyone who's in a relationship of any kind, that's all of us, will know that relationships... Good relationships, healthy relationships do require effort, don't they? Like if you don't communicate in your marriage, if you don't talk to one another, it's going to be a really bad marriage soon enough. If you don't communicate with your friends, if you don't engage with them and talk to them and listen to them, it's going to be a pretty bad relationship quite quickly. Good communication is at the foundation of good relationships. And it's precisely the same in our relationship with God. One of the primary ways which we grow in our relationships with God is through prayer. It is amazing, I think, how often, though, we're concerned with the the art of communication, the how and where we should pray, the technicalities, that we forget about who we're communicating with. In his book, a praying life, Paul Miller helpfully observes this. He says, oddly enough, 
many of us struggle to learn how to pray because we're focused on praying and not on God. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windscreen instead of through it at where you're going. See, prayer isn't an end in itself. The object of prayer is to know God better. And so the focus when we pray should be on him. The one who promises that he hears us when we do pray. As we invest in our relationship with him, as we speak and listen, God draws close to us. And so I want to invite you today to draw near. And here are a few things that I think you'll discover as you do. And we're going to open the Bible together. We're not going to be rooted in one passage today. We're going to kind of jump around a bit. But our point one is this, when it comes to prayer. God wants to help you. So your relationship with God has never been based on your merit or on how deserving you are. It's based on the grace of of God, a free gift. His grace extends beyond salvation into the rest of our lives. And he's promised to finish the work he starts in us. God never intended for you to muddle through life on your own. He wants to walk with you and for you to walk with him step by step with his help, his empowering, his spirit at work in you. Psalm 46 reminds us about a God who's with us through every circumstance and season and who wants to help us. We read, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isaiah 41, we read much the same. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He invites us and instructs us to ask him in prayer. You know, God knows what you need. We read that in Scripture too, right? That he knows what you need even before you ask, before you open your mouth. And yet, he invites us to ask him. That's strange, isn't it? Like if God knows what you need, why would Jesus Christ say, ask and you'll receive? What's, what's the point of that? It's about relationship. God invites us to come to him in prayer and to ask because we're building relationship as we do. Communication is at the heart of relationship, and so he invites us to come to him in prayer. He knows what you need, but he says, 
Come, my children. And he's not willing and weak, but he's willing and able. The all-powerful creator who has all authority. He wants to help. He's able to help. He's willing to help. We read this about him in Isaiah 40. God's speaking through his prophet to his people. He says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God invites us to come to him in prayer. He wants to help. And as the all-powerful creator of all, he is more than able. And as you come, as you draw near and ask, you can be honest. This is incredibly releasing. You can be honest like Luther was when writing to his friend. I don't know if you've noticed, but in this world, we're very used to being less than honest about how we're really doing and how we really feel. In fact, there can be a huge amount of pressure to present a certain way. Even in church, I I fear few of us might be as honest as Luther was in his letter to his friend when it comes to talking about the state of our hearts and, and where we're up to with things. We're constantly presented with the highlight reels of other people's lives in conversation and on the internet. Social media is horrific for this, but we still scroll. And the temptation for all of us is to to try and keep up or at least look like we're keeping up. You know, being honest, like Luther was in his letter, that today's been really boring and that your children have spent the whole day arguing and that you lost your temper with them and that your house decor is unremarkable and untidy doesn't actually attract very many friends or likes on social media. And so we pretend otherwise. The half a dozen selfies that you took and discarded before settling on the one that you still feel apprehensive about posting might not have resulted in nearly so many likes on Instagram. And the truth is, it's not just online, is it? But many of us, even in our closest human relationships, can live with a degree of pretense, keeping people at a safe distance, just afraid that if they really knew that thing about you, if they knew what you'd done, what you thought, how you really felt about that, that they would reject you. If they heard your thoughts as well as your words, that maybe they wouldn't really want to know you. As you begin to enjoy your relationship with God in prayer, you realize that there's no hiding from him. And all those facades that we try and keep up to those around us in our human relationships are useless with him because he knows, he sees. 
He knows you better than you know yourself. There's no pretense. You can't keep up a front. He knows everything, good and bad. King David wrote about this reality as he journeyed with God. In Psalm 139, he said these words, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Oh, (laughs) just think about that for a moment. Just God knows your thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways, all my ways, not just the ones I want other people to know about. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He knows you completely. And the most amazing thing about that is that even though he knows you completely, he loves you. And this combination of being fully known and fully loved is is the most releasing thing when it comes to prayer. It allows you to be open and honest about your weaknesses and failings because there's no fear of rejection. If he knows already and he loves you, then you can be completely honest when you come to him in prayer. Now my hope is that increasingly you can be completely honest with those around you in your human relationships. But when it comes to your relationship with God and when it comes to prayer, when it comes to just speaking with your Father in heaven and sharing with him what's going on, your hopes and fears, your failures, your struggles, your anxieties, whatever it might be. You don't fear rejection. He knows. He loves you. See, this realization frees us, doesn't it? Like if you know that that's true, if you allow that truth to sink in, it is incredibly releasing. It frees us to face our faults, actually. And with his help to deal with them. So God wants to help you. He invites you to come to him in prayer. And he's able to help you. And you can be completely honest with him without fear of rejection. And what's more, as you come to God in prayer and as you speak with him, as you pour out your heart, as you just Be real with him, knowing that you won't be rejected or turned away. I think in time you'll come to realize with joy that he's more involved in your life than you ever imagined. When you start speaking to God about your everyday life, about your highs and lows and successes and failures and hopes and dreams what happens is that you become aware that he's way more involved in your life than you'd ever realized. And like I know, like some of you are nodding because you know that's true and you've experienced that. And I was reminded of this a while ago when I was reading through, it's, it's like a silly thing, but I was reading through the C.S. Lewis book, The Horse and His Boy. 
with some of our children. And I was reminded of this reality because there's a beautiful moment in that book where the, the main character, a boy called Shasta, meets Aslan the lion, who in the books of Narnia represents God. And Shasta is alone, afraid, and he's making his way along a road in the dark on horseback. And he's terrified in this kind of bleak, lonely moment. But he suddenly becomes aware that he's not really alone. And, and then we read this. So he went on at a walking pace. And the unseen companion walked and breathed beside him. At last he could bear it no longer. Who are you? He said, barely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing. His voice was not loud, but large and deep. Are you, are you a giant? asked Shasta. <laughs> you might call me a giant, said the large voice. But I'm not like the creatures you call giants. I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Then, for a moment, an even more terrible idea came into his head, and he said, almost in a scream, You're not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please do go away. What harm have I ever done to you? Oh, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, that's not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and of all the dangers in Tashban and about his night among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and thirst of their journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Aravis, who was one of his companions, and also how very long it was since he had had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two lions the first night, and there was only one. But he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. Shasta gaped, open-mouthed, and said nothing. The voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay as a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. See, as they speak for the first time, Shasta talks with Aslan about his life, his challenges, and his eyes are open to see the activity of Aslan. I think it's the same for us in my experience. It's been much the same. As you come to him in prayer, you realize the many ways in which God is daily at work in our lives. The, the more times I read through that, actually, I see these just incredible pictures of the way God has 
led me and shaped my life. I'm so grateful for his providence, his kindness, and the family he placed around me. Actually, the circumstances that led us as a family to Wokingham, which we wouldn't have chosen. We weren't planning on moving here. At the time, they were painful and difficult and hard to see what was going on. Confusing, frustrating. And yet I look now and see the kind hand of God at work, leading us, guiding us. As we continue in Psalm 139, we see that David knew this reality too. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. See, God wants to help. He's able. You can be completely honest with him without fear of rejection. And we can know that he's more involved in your life than you could ever imagine. Through prayer, a relationship with God like this can be your experience too. Not a task to be completed, but a relationship to enjoy. To realise his love for you, his help of you, his leading, his guiding. There's more. God wants to speak to you as well. In any good relationship, communication's two-way, isn't it? Like sometimes one does more talking than the other. (laughs) But if the relationship's healthy, communication's two-way. We speak, but significantly God speaks too. There are several ways in which God speaks to us and guides us. And some people get really hung up at this point because they get stuck because they want to be sure that they know what God's will is and they can get themselves all tied in knots over every single decision and every single thing of like what should I do I don't know I have to unless I've had a clear word from God about it I can't possibly make a decision and I think that's not what I'm talking about sometimes people get themselves so tied up they end up going nowhere and doing nothing because they're just so worried that they want to make sure that it's God's will I don't think that's how God works with us. The reality is the primary way God speaks to us is through his word, through scripture. And he has spoken. And we mustn't ever overlook the power and importance of God speaking to us through scripture as Christians. And so we approach the Bible prayerfully, expecting him to speak as we do. Not just opening and reading, but asking him to speak to us as we do. Lord, reveal yourself to me through your word. Speak to me. Help me to see you. Help me to know you more. Help me to love you more. Show me what it looks like to live for you, to please you, to honour you as I read. And If you do that consistently, 
you'll find he does. <laughs> it isn't rocket science. I think people can make it really complicated. Honestly, <laughs> if you daily, consistently read his word prayerfully, say, Lord, just lead me, reveal yourself to me, he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll guide you and direct you. We read about this kind of reality in Proverbs 3. The trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The God wants to help. He's able to help. You can be honest with him without fearing rejection, and you can know that he's more involved in your life than you ever imagined. And he speaks and guides and directs you too. And that's a reality that each one of us is invited to enjoy and experience and grow in. But prayer is also something that we're supposed to grow in together too. There's also a corporate aspect of prayer in which we're invited to grow. See, our prayer life should have a benefit not just for you as an individual, but for the body, for the church family. And there's two ways that I want to suggest that that works out. The first is this, is that when you pray for someone else, it's impossible to harbour anger and resentment against them. When you're struggling with someone else in the church family or just anyone else who you're in relationship with, but in terms of the church community, when you're struggling with someone, when they've upset you or offended you in some way, honestly, you pray for them. And you'll find as you do, it's impossible actually to harbor anger and resentment towards them. I experienced that even this week. I was really, really cross with someone. It wound up, I wanted to give them a piece of my mind and I vented a little bit to Jenny and I was like, oh, I'm going to tell them. And she reminded me, as she often does, to pray for them. And it just changed my heart. In a moment, as I brought them before God, I said, Lord, help me to forgive them as you've forgiven them. Would you bless them? Because just my heart began to change. Lord, thank you for all that you've forgiven me. Would you help me to forgive them too? It just changes. The other aspect that I want to encourage you in terms of our corporate prayer is unity that comes from praying with other people. Not just praying for, but praying with others. See, when you pray with others, you start to hear their heart. But there's also something incredible about agreeing together on things as we pray. And I don't just mean like one person going, I think this should happen, and everyone else going, amen, we've agreed it, and therefore that's powerful. That's, that's not <laughs> what I mean is this. See, I think when we pray individually and corporately, we're supposed to line ourselves up with God's will. Yeah? We're not trying to get God on our agenda. We're trying to line our hearts up with him and his agenda. 
That's why we should read scripture prayerfully. Because as we read scripture, we get to see the heart of God and we line ourselves up to it. We don't try and drag it into what we think. We come to scripture and we say, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? Where I don't line up, would you help me to line up with your will and your ways? And when we pray together, something amazing about a group of Christians together saying, Lord, together we're submitting to your will in this. We want you to lead us in this. We're united in that. We're united in heart that this is about you and your glory, not us and our agenda. Saying, not my preference or their preference, but Lord, your will. There's incredible unity in that. And not just incredible unity with the people who you happen to be in the room with, but incredible unity with Christians around the globe who are doing the same. The body of Christ joined together and saying, Lord, not our will, but yours. Lord, your glory, would you lead us? So I want to encourage you to prioritize this and joining when we gather to pray as a church. Because I think it will do you good. I think it will grow you in your relationship with God, but I think it will also grow your relationship with others in the church as you enjoy unity in prayer, as you hear people's hearts. As we come to a close, I want to skip back to where we started this afternoon. And maybe today is the first time that you've actually heard it's possible for you to have a personal relationship with God. Maybe it's the first time that you've heard he wants a relationship with you. Or maybe you've heard that before, but you've never really let it sink in. It's just a kind of abstract thing that you've heard people talk about, but you've never actually let it sink in for you. You've never allowed yourself to believe that it's really true. But as you've been here this afternoon, as we've worshipped, as we've sung those truths to God, enjoyed his presence, as you've listened this afternoon, perhaps you've found yourself thinking, I, I want a relationship like these people seem to have. I, I want a relationship with God like that, that we've been talking about, that real, personal, honest, life-giving kind of relationship if that's you, I'm going to pray in just a moment and I want to invite you to take that prayer and repeat it just quietly where you are. It's between you and God to just take these words and say, yeah, I, I agree with that. I want to own that for myself. I'm going to pray. And if you want to respond to this, then I want to encourage you to do that. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life that have separated me from you. I, I want to know you. I don't want to be separate from you anymore. Thank you, Lord, that even knowing all my failures, all the things that I'm most ashamed of, that I wouldn't want anyone else to know about me, you know and you still love me. And you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Please forgive me. I'm turning now to you. I'm turning away from those things that I know are wrong. I want to go your way from now on. Thank you. 
thank you for offering me forgiveness. I receive that gift now. Amen. If you joined me in praying that this afternoon, then I want to ask you to do something really brave. And when we finish the service this afternoon, I'd love you to come and speak with me. If you came with someone else, then I'd love you to, if you're more comfortable, you can bring them with you. Uh, And I'd love to just talk to you a little bit about that and, and pray together. Others of you, and I'm guessing more, maybe you've heard it all before. And you've known it for yourself to be true. But you feel like over time your relationship with God is maybe a bit distant and cold. Maybe you feel a bit like Luther writing that letter. And you might not have been bold enough to admit it, but it's how you feel and where you're up to. If that's you, I want to call you back this afternoon. Not to a to-do list, but to enjoy a conversation with your Heavenly Father. We're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. And as we do, I want to encourage you to use that as a, as a response. As saying, Lord, I'm coming back to you now. I know I've been distant. The, the work of communicating in our relationship, of coming to you and enjoying you, of speaking with you and listening to you, I've... I've been neglectful, but thank you that you don't hold that against me, but you welcome me close. I want to invite you as you come to the table to pray that simply and to come, knowing as you do that we have a loving Father who is waiting, watching, longing for you to come back. As you do, who will come to meet you and embrace you envelop you in his love. I'm going to pray for us now and then invite Chris to lead us.